For our scripture reading, we turn now to the book of Ephesians, near the end of that letter, Ephesians chapter 6. We're learning lately on Sunday mornings about the habits of grace. We are a people who desire to know the grace of God, and we know it in part as we habitually, regularly seek and serve our God, and he makes himself known to us and causes us to grow in him, thus the habits of grace. What we talked about over the past few Sundays has been the important habit of being regularly in our Bibles throughout the week. Surely that is one of the habits of grace, one of the habits of the Christian life, regular Bible reading. So that's been our theme lately. Well, it's like when you're at a restaurant and you want to order a wine that goes with your food. We can say that the subject of regular Bible reading throughout the week pairs well. We can say it pairs well with the subject of being faithful in prayer throughout the week, too. And that's what we're talking about today. It should be one of our habits that we are regularly communing with God in prayer throughout the week. And just as we went to Ephesians 6 and the the armor of God to make that point a few weeks ago about regular Bible reading, we can do the same thing with prayer. So that's why we're turning here again today. It's, It's helpful to be reminded as we think about nurturing habits of prayer, it's helpful to be reminded of just how important it is that we be armed with it. And thus, we're turning to Ephesians 6. So let me read for us. We'll back up to verse 10, and I'll go down to verse 20. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication For all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word, and we would say together now, as 
The boy Samuel once said so long ago, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So thinking about this passage as a whole, here we are back at the armory. Thinking about Ephesians 6, Paul has more to say about prayer than about anything else that he's mentioned in the armor of God thus far leading up to this. So, so he has a lot to say about that. And not only that, but Paul does not use an armor metaphor in the case of prayer. And for those reasons, it might begin to feel a little bit like Paul has changed the subject. In other words, as you're reading through Ephesians 6, it might feel at this point that we've left the armory and we've, we've come back outside and now Paul has some other things to say. So it's worth emphasizing that he has not really changed the subject. We're still in the armory. Even in these verses, verses 18 through 20, which focus on prayer, Paul's still describing how to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's still talking about what's involved in withstanding in the evil day. So this is, this is all part of the same theme, part of the same passage. You can tell that, first of all, from his grammar. What Paul has to say here about prayer in verses 18 through 20 It isn't a new paragraph. It isn't even a new sentence in the way Paul writes it. It's phrases about prayer that are linked seamlessly with everything he's just been saying. So there's that. And it's not just the grammar here. It's also the very nature of prayer. So yes, it's true. He doesn't doesn't call prayer a weapon or a piece of armament or an article of clothing. But in a sense, we don't need him to. We don't need Paul to tell us that it is. We know, we have some sense that prayer is just as vital in our spiritual conflict as all the other things that Paul mentioned. So this is not a change of subject. That's why John Bunyan, in Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan was right to say, that when his main character in Pilgrim's Progress, aptly named Christian, when Christian got a tour of the armory there in that house that was built for pilgrims, the people who lived in that house, maybe you remember this, they show him a piece of armor called all prayer. Bunyan didn't need a metaphor in Ephesians 6 to tell him that that was sound and we shouldn't either. All prayer. And by the way, you can probably guess as you think about Ephesians 6 why John Bunyan called it all prayer. The reason is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the word all about as many times as he can get away with in one verse, which is verse 18. He says, All times and all prayer and all perseverance and all the saints. So make no mistake, prayer is one of the ways in which we as Christians are armed for the spiritual conflict 
that God has called us to. And that's why I say this is a good place for us to go to be reminded of how important prayer is as that which ought to characterize our lives throughout the week and not just here on Sundays when we're together. So let's learn about prayer. And and we're going to notice three things here that we can learn about prayer. When it comes to prayer, we ought to be constant and we ought to be continuing and we ought to be comprehensive. Those three we're going to learn from Paul here in Ephesians 6. When it comes to prayer, we ought to be constant and continuing and comprehensive. So first of all, constant, constancy in prayer. Because Paul says, look at verse 18, he says, we ought to be a people who pray at all times. There's one of our alls. Paul says we ought to pray at all times in the Spirit. It's like what he says over in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says we ought to pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. So here in Ephesians 6, it's praying at all times. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like practically to take that seriously and to follow through? What it does not mean, what it cannot mean, is that you are bound to be consciously engaged in the activity that is prayer every single moment that you're awake. It cannot mean that. There's so much in life in the course of a day, in the course of an hour, that you're called to do and to be. There's a lot in life that God has called us to. Now, what it has to mean, praying at all times, is that there's supposed to be a kind of steady hum of prayer that marks your life. What it must mean is that you talk to God with such regularity, such frequency, that when you reach the end of the day or the end of the week, you're able to look back and say, yeah, it was a a prayerful day. It was a prayerful week that I've just lived. And that kind of constant prayer grows out of a sense of constant communion with God. So that those moments when you're talking to God, whether out loud or not, they're an expression of a constant sense of communion with God that you're enjoying throughout the day, throughout the week. Here's how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He says this, quote, Prayer is not merely the action of the moment. It is a lifestyle. Focusing on a person-to-person relationship with God. He says it is the expression of a life lived out in the presence of God, before the face of God, in which our constant communion with God comes to conscious expression, end quote. So when it comes to prayer, quantity does not matter in the sense that we have to use a lot of words to say what we want to say. Remember, Jesus repudiated that. He warned his disciples against lapsing into that sense that quantity matters, so i got to pile up a lot of words when I talk to God. But quantity does matter. We can put it this way, in the sense that it ought to be true of us that we pray a lot with regularity. With frequency, it ought to be true of us that we seize opportunities to pray. And in fact, it's precisely because we don't have to compose elaborate, lengthy prayers 
that we have the freedom in the course of a day to go ahead and say a brief word to God in a particular moment, a brief word that says a great deal, like Nehemiah in that story in the Old Testament. Nehemiah, who said a brief word to God even while he was in the company of the king. That can be true of us as well. Regularity, frequency, freedom. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to be constant in prayer. And it also means this, that we pray at all sorts of times. And by that I mean blessed times as well as hard times. There's a love of sports in our home. Maybe there is in your home too. But even if there isn't, I think we all have an understanding of what it means to be a fair weather fan. Sometimes it's called being a bandwagoner, right? Jumping on the bandwagon. A fair weather fan. That's somebody who cheers for his team only when his team is winning. Well, it's possible to be a fair weather prayer. Somebody who prays only when things are going well. Why? Because when things are going well, there comes to be a kind of lightness about life that makes this person chatty. And so he chats with God. He's just so excited about how things are going, and he wants to talk about it with anyone who will listen, and he knows that God will listen. But then when clouds roll in, suddenly he's not chatty anymore. Doesn't pray anymore. It's possible like that to be a fair weather prayer. And on the flip side, it's also possible to be a foul weather prayer, which is somebody who only starts to talk to God when the clouds do roll in, because that's when he remembers, oh, that's right, I'm needy. So I guess this is a good time to talk to the one who can meet my need. So praying at all times, praying with this kind of constancy, it means Praying, to to borrow language we looked at not too long ago in 2 Timothy, it means praying in season and out of season. It means praying in all kinds of weather, at all sorts of times, blessed times as well as hard times, praying at all times. So that's our first point. We ought to be constant in prayer. And I want to drive this one home for all of us. It's a good test for all of us to take. How constant have you been in prayer? Look back on last week. Can you look back on it and say, yeah, it was a prayerful week. And if it wasn't, it's worth stopping to examine yourself. Why wasn't it a prayerful week? If you look back on last week and you honestly have to say, I didn't pray much last week. Why not? What kept you from God's throne? Was it a failure, perhaps, to realize just how needy you are every day, every moment of every day? Well, in that case, you need to refresh your own heart and mind with that truth, that reality, that you're a creature of the dust whom God is holding into existence every moment that you live, every breath that you draw. So maybe that was it. Or was it a sense that you're under the condemnation of God? That'll certainly keep you from God's throne if you've lost sight of the cross. And so as a Christian, you need to go back to the cross. 
And you need to go back to Romans 8.1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lay a hold of that, and that, that puts wind at your back that drives you to the throne room of God to pray. Now no condemnation. Or perhaps it was the fact that you've allowed some sin in your life to go unconfessed, unrepented of. And that's caused a sense of breach between you and God. Don't settle for that. Instead, run to him with that and repent of it and seek his mercy in Christ and find it. The point is, whatever it is that's kept you from being constant in prayer, don't settle for it. Prayer is too important and too wonderful to settle for anything in your life that would diminish that constancy in prayer that ought to be true of you. So that's the first, constant in prayer. Now here's the second. Similar to it, related to it, but different, which is that we ought to be continuing in prayer. And here I have in mind what Paul says again in verse 18, where he says, keep alert with all perseverance. There's another one of Paul's alls. We ought to be a people who pray with all perseverance. The idea is that we ought to be faithful in prayer with a faithfulness that lasts, lasts over the long haul. And here, too, we can be realistic together. We can acknowledge together that there are challenges that work against us when it comes to being persevering in prayer. And one of those challenges is is discouragement. It could be that we fail to persevere in prayer because it doesn't seem like anything's happening as a result of our praying, and so we give up. Jesus knew that. Obviously, he didn't know it in his own experience, but he anticipated it in the experience in the lives of his followers, and that's why he told that parable. Luke 18, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And not lose heart. And it was the parable that he taught them about the woman who persevered in her petitioning. And so this is something we can experience. We can lose heart in prayer. We can become discouraged in prayer over the long haul because it feels like Nothing's happening. Nothing's coming of it. It doesn't mean anything. So this is an area of the Christian life, like all of them, in which we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. God has said it in his word that he hears the prayers of his people. God has taught us in his word that he actually takes the prayers of his people, takes our prayers and incorporates them in in some mysterious way into his all-wise governance of the universe. God has said these things. Well, then, do you believe these things? Even though you cannot see these things, will you press on in prayer by faith and not by sight? Even if you cannot make sense right now of what God is doing about this or that concern that you set before him, will you press on in prayer. That's not to say that once you pray about something the first time, 
Well, then you now have to keep praying about that something for the rest of your life. You can imagine how long our prayer lists would be if that were the case, if you weren't allowed to erase. Obviously, time passes, things change, our own concerns and desires change, which means that our petitions will change over time. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course that's the case. Now, this is, this is an overall point we're making here about your staying power in prayer. And the point is discouragement. As Jesus put it, losing heart can work against that. So as we think about being continuing in prayer, we can notice that one challenge, that one obstacle, discouragement. Here's a second one that also begins with D, distractedness. That's another challenge to being continuing in prayer, distractedness. We live in a culture in which we just keep clicking from one thing to the next. We live in a culture, and it's getting worse in this respect, that is practically devoid of staying power. We click on one thing, and we take a quick look, at that one thing, and then we click on a second thing. And that second thing might have nothing to do whatsoever with the first thing. It just happened to be nearby. And so we take a quick look at that second thing, and then a third, and then a fourth. And we might eventually click our way back to the first thing, but we might not. And by the time we got to the fourth thing, there's a good chance that we forgot what the first thing was anyway, but that's okay because there's always a fifth thing. And we just keep clicking without ever staying. Websites, TV shows, habits, hobbies, relationships, churches. We just keep surfing. We just keep moving on. That's the world we live in. And how different is the mentality that the Bible calls us to? When it comes to our basic sensibility, the Bible calls us not to be surfers, not to be clickers, but to be dwellers. God in Christ has come to dwell with us. He's come to commune with us. He's come to stay, and he calls us to stay with him, to commune with him in return. And maybe you can begin to see how this applies to prayer. Maybe you know this from your own experience. You know how it goes. We pay some attention to the importance of prayer. We click on prayer. Maybe because we just read an article about it in our devotional. Or we just heard a sermon about it. Or maybe because it's just been a while since we've paid attention to prayer and we we cycle back to it. And so we click on it. And sure enough, for a few days, maybe even for a few weeks, we pay a lot of attention to it. And then we surf on, and our prayer life diminishes to a level where it should not be. We surf on because we noticed something else, some other truth, some other idea, some other discipline that seemed a bit more exciting, a bit more satisfying, and the end result is that the importance of prayer gets left behind. Like some kind of website that's recorded in our browsing history that we don't go back to. And in six months or so, well, maybe we'll click on it again, maybe. It's not to say that the subject of prayer 
has to be always front and center in your discipleship. No, even that isn't realistic. Of course it's the case that in our, our, our reading and our contemplating and our meditating and in our discussing, of course it's the case that over time different subjects will come front and center. It's just that we, we sometimes can, can get into prayer and get excited about it for whatever reason and then move on and leave it behind in such a way that we're not the praying men and women that we should be. So when it comes to prayer, are you a surfer or are you a dweller? That's the question. Is prayer where you live, where you dwell for the long haul? And notice how Paul puts it here, where he's talking about perseverance, all perseverance. What he says is, keep alert. Notice that. Keep alert. That's an important part of prayer that makes for continuance, that makes for perseverance. The idea of being alert. Because if you're alert when it comes to prayer, far more likely that you'll press on in it. Think of it this way. I put it this way. You cannot pray with your eyes closed. And by that, I don't mean that you cannot pray with your eyes closed. By all means, of course, when you pray, feel free to close your eyes. But what I do mean is that if you're going to be faithful in prayer, you can't go through life with your eyes closed. You've got to have them wide open. You have to keep alert. And that's true both on the front end and the back end. We might say both before and after prayer. On the front end, you've got to go through life with your eyes wide open so that you'll be alert about what to pray for in the first place. Needs that have to be met. Brokenness that needs to be mended. Souls that need to be saved. Blessings that deserve to be acknowledged. And, and when you're alert in that way, it leads you to prayer. And it leads you to stay in prayer. Because your eyes are wide open for things like those around you. And then on the back end, we might say after prayer, you go through life with your eyes wide open so that you'll be attentive to what comes of your concerns in God's providence after you pray. Because if you're not attentive like that, after the fact, well, how earnest, how genuine was your petition in the first place? And how grateful are you going to be when God actually grants what you asked of him? So Paul says, keep alert with all perseverance. We're to be a people who are continuing in prayer. And alertness, eyes wide open, both before and after, fuels that, makes for that continuance. So the first was constant, the second was continuing. Now here's our third and final, which is that we need to be comprehensive in prayer. Comprehensive in prayer. Here again, look at verse 18. Here are two more alls. Paul says, with all prayer and supplication. He says, making supplication for all the saints. The point is, the needs around us, 
They run the gamut. And therefore, our petitions should as well. And our gratitude should as well. All around us, our needs run the gamut. Needs major and minor. Personal and corporate. Private and public. Local and distant. Earthly and spiritual. In your life and in the lives of others. Our need for daily bread. Our need for daily grace. Comprehensive. And so you want want to have a, a, a wideness about your prayer life. It's not that you've got to cover everything in every prayer, that, that too can become a burden, an unnecessary burden that we place on our shoulders when it comes to prayer. You don't have to say everything every time, but there ought to be a, a wideness about your prayer life. You want your prayer life to be broad, including, by the way, praying for the ministry of the Word. And I point that out because Paul does. See how he goes on? Verses 19 and 20. Paul is perfectly willing, the great Apostle Paul, willing to ask these people to pray for him. It's not just that he prays for them. He says, I need you to pray for me because of the word ministry that God has entrusted to me. What does he say? Verse 19. He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly. As I ought to speak. Isn't that a marvel? Paul's writing this letter while he's in Roman custody. And this is what he wants them to pray for him. That God would bless him in his word ministry like this. And and that takes boldness. It takes boldness to to address the world with the claims of the gospel because those claims can be offensive in the ears of unbelievers. It takes boldness, too, in proclaiming God's truth to God's people because even for us, God's truth can sting when it convicts of sin. God's truth can humble when it corrects us and our erroneous thinking. And it takes boldness on the part of the minister then not to shrink back, not to pull his punches, but to make plain what God has said to the world and to the church alike. So the minister needs boldness. Fundamentally, that's a matter of the heart. The preacher needs to have a heart of boldness, but there's more to it than his heart. Paul says, pray for me that words, words may be given me. The heart's the main thing. Vocabulary and grammar are not the main things, but vocabulary and grammar matter. Words do matter in the preaching of the gospel because it is with words that we either succeed or fail to make the gospel plain. Plain words, bold words, words meant to flow from a courageous heart. Paul said, pray also for me that that would be true of me. And this minister standing before you today says the same thing. We're to be a people who are comprehensive in prayer, and that includes praying for the ministry of the Word. And that, too, is a good test for us to take. 
How about your prayer life? Has it been comprehensive? In other words, are you going to God about all sorts of things? Or have you slipped into thinking that maybe God doesn't care about certain things? That there are corners of your life where God's love and care don't go? So that you end up thinking that there's no point in talking to God about those things. Well, then here, too, a refresher for all of us. Refresh your own heart and mind with the truth that his love for his children reaches every area of their lives. Christian, every area of yours. Because that's the truth that leads us to pray the way we should. So those three lessons to learn from Paul here, as we think about our own prayer lives throughout the week, May they be constant. May they be continuing. May they be comprehensive. And and here's, here's very good news to bring alongside those three truths about prayer. And it's this. The mercy of God to us is those same three things. Think about that. The mercy of God to us in Christ is constant and it's continuing and it's comprehensive. And I know it's important for us to hear that again because we can become awfully discouraged by our failings in prayer. Perhaps because we have a sense of how important this is, it can weigh us down whenever we have a sense that we haven't been the people of prayer that we should be. We can feel beat down when we realize that we haven't been constant. We haven't persevered. We've been confined instead of broad. So, brothers and sisters, let's hear it again. First of all, the mercy of God is constant to sinners. He's with us and for us at all times. And that means at all sorts of times. That means in season and out of season. God draws near to us and he's with us. His mercy is constant. And then second, his mercy is also continuing. He perseveres with us even when we don't persevere with him. For that matter, his mercy is continuing because, if if we can even put it this way, God is alert. In other words, his eyes are always open and they're always on us so that he always knows what our needs are. His mercy is continuing. And then finally, his mercy is also comprehensive. There is no saving need that we have that divine mercy leaves unaddressed. He sent his son. We sang this this morning in our opening hymn. He sent his son with power to save from guilt and darkness in the grave. So that in him, in Christ, we have all things. And that's as comprehensive as it gets. No saving need that we have that God's mercy leaves unaddressed. So do you need forgiveness? For that matter, do you need forgiveness because you have failed God in prayer? Well, then go and ask it and receive it. Jesus died that we might have it, that we might be forgiven. 
Or do you need strength to rise up and face the prayer challenge again? Then go and ask it and receive it. Jesus lives that we might be strengthened for service. God's grace abounds so that our prayers might abound. So let us be armed. Armed, we can say, with all prayer. Let's pray together now. Father, we do thank you for that truth that your mercy to us is constant indeed and continuing and comprehensive. And just knowing that, just being reminded of that, stirs and inspires us to be a people of prayer like that at all times, with all perseverance, with all prayer and supplications for all the saints, including for the ministry of the word. And so that becomes our prayer now that we would be such a people as that. We thank you for Christ. We are found in him, and therefore there is now no condemnation for us. So would we draw near to your throne every day. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.